0: Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now, here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today, our guest is Jen Kennedy Park, a partner in Cleary Gottlieb's New York City office. Welcome, Jen. Hi, Nicole. Jen's practice focuses on litigation related to capital market transactions, merger and acquisitions, white collar defense, and corporate investigations. Recognized as a leading securities litigation lawyer by the Legal 500, Jen was named a rising star by the New York Law Journal in 2015. Jen, I've given our listeners some insight into your role and background. Can you expand on what I've said and give us a glimpse into who you are personally?
1: I uh, am a product of a non-legal family, which is something I like people to know. There are no lawyers in my family. I'm the very first. Uh, I went to Georgetown Law School um, and clerked in the juvenile delinquency court in Washington, D.C. after law school, which was a really um, profoundly moving and changing experience for me. Uh, And then I moved to New York City and joined Cleary Gottlieb. I've been at Cleary since 2002. I made partner in 2011. And since that time, um, my practice has uh, changed in a lot of ways. Um, it, it was very focused on capital markets, litigation, M&A litigation, um, and some white collar. And now it is almost 100% white collar. It's a it's a hot time to be uh, a defense lawyer in that space. And personally, I am a mom of three. I have a seven and a half year old, and I have two and a half year old twins, all boys. So my life is ever exciting.
0: It sounds exciting. Uh, very exciting. Both your work and and things at home. You, you mentioned it's really different today than it was when you first started practicing or first became partner. Can you elaborate on, you know, why it is so different?
1: Sure. Um, I think two things really. One is market uh, and two is personal choice. So you know, the market for um, White collar defense lawyers, you know, post Enron, post WorldCom, post Tyco, uh, has become much greater. Yeah, White collar cases now uh, are are can be and and frequently are viewed as bet the company kind of litigation, um, where the the company can rise or fall depending on the outcome. Uh, and because of that, the the market for people in that space has has heated up uh, extensively. And then personally, I just find the work really, really fascinating, really interesting. It's very factually intensive. It's very people intensive. and um, in every case, you get to learn about an entirely different um, area of the economy, which is something I really enjoy. So I've done cases in the financial sector like LIBOR or about foreign exchange. And right now I'm working on, on a dam collapse in Brazil. So it's really, um, it's new and exciting every time. Very interesting.
0: So Jen, you've been able to grow your practice and it's been, I'm sure, a part of your success at Clary Gottlieb. Which of your personal strengths or habits have really allowed you to be successful in growing that practice?
1: In terms of strengths, I think a couple. One, no fear. So I don't think, I really just don't think I've been afraid to take risks, to ask questions, to ask for work opportunities, what's the worst that can happen? You know, somebody can say, no, thanks. This isn't the right case for you. Um, either internally at my firm, you know, when I was a younger associate or as a partner now developing business. So I haven't, I just haven't had that instinct to be nervous about, um, asking those kinds of questions. I think two is being authentic. I I learned really early in my career as a lawyer, that it was very important to me that i just be true to myself. You know, I, like I said at the beginning, I don't come from a legal background. There's, there are no lawyers in my family. And my first day at Cleary Gottlieb was the first day that I'd ever been in a white shoe law firm and you can't see me, but I'm putting white shoe in air quotes. It was an intimidating experience. It's culturally different. And I tried for a while to um, adapt in, in the way of becoming more like the people who were around me, who may have had very different life experiences than I had. And that just didn't work for me. You know, it didn't feel comfortable. It didn't make me happy. And I realized very early on I just needed to be who I was. And that that means bringing all sorts of different aspects of my personality to business development um, because there are some people that I click with because they don't have, a, they never had a legal background. There's some people I click with because they're parents. There are some people I click, click with because I love the Boston Red Sox. Um, but for me, it's been really important to just, just be who I am because people can spot a fake a mile away. Um, and then lastly, I think consistent contact. I, like I said, I, what I love about my, my legal practice is that, the, the people part of it. That's one of the aspects I really enjoy. And so it hasn't been hard for me, but I have really enjoyed consistent contact with clients. So just because we're not working on something together doesn't mean that person is not on my mind or part of my life or the, the authentic thing that we've connected over isn't still going on. Right. So I try, for example, um, women that I've bonded with who are working mothers, I'll still reach out to them and invite them to working mom groups or tell them about this recent article that I read that I thought was really interesting. So I've, I've let it, I've let my relationships be more than just about the business. And so it's made it a lot easier to keep that consistent contact.
0: Excellent. So I'm going to ask you some questions as we go on about, you know, how you convey those personal strengths and habits to others, obviously, because now you have a team of people, right? That you're working with and, and I'm assuming developing, right? Let's dive into some broader questions. So you have, you have a practice, you have responsibility for that practice. Do you have a specific growth strategy that you
1: employ and really recommend to the other folks in your practice? my, you know, my practice group has a strategy and a firm has a strategy, but personally, my growth strategy has been really about, um, focusing on very particular clients and making them understand that I'm very focused on them. And, and that means getting to know the clients, uh, inside and out. So in, in the legal profession, particularly for, um, bigger law firms, I, I think, people can fall into the trap of thinking that your client at a company is the, is the lawyer that's in-house. So that's, that's your client. And that's the person that you have to make happy, but that person in-house has many, many different, um, people that they have to please from many different areas. So they've got people from risk. They've got people from compliance. They've got people in the business, um, the managers and, Once you start to appreciate that, you realize or I realized that I couldn't keep uh, my relationship just with the legal side of companies that I was dealing with. It was really important if I was going to grow a deep relationship with particular clients that was long lasting uh, and that was profitable, um, that I had to expand my horizons at the company. So I have focused on trying to um, think outside the legal box in a lot of ways. And I encourage the people that I that are on my teams to do the same thing, and it's 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 worked out really well for me <laughs> um, because I realized that there's a lot of times where it's the people in the business who who weigh in with legal on who they want to hire, and sometimes their voice is stronger um, or more important than than who the in-house lawyers want to hire. Uh, so it's important to make those kind of connections.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I've actually had that experience where we were negotiating a contract and very often, you know, if I went to my business person, they would really turn around to legal and say, you know, we need to get this done. So they were the ones really that had they had the goal the goal was their goal. Right. And I, and I understand that in-house legal is, is there to protect the organization. Right. But, um, obviously making connections with the business people and relating to them around the business challenge they're trying to solve, you know, is, can be so, um, it can, can have a major impact, right. on, on the business. So Jen, you said something about, you said particular clients and, and I just want to ask a follow-up on that. Is that you have ten clients you've gotten to know them well, or is there also um, some a niche going on in those ten clients? Or is there a particular industry or a particular uh, type of client that you've gone after? Uh,
1: it's it's not a particular type of client, so it's uh, it's it's across a wide spectrum. And I think that's it's at least been important to me because um, at, at the beginning of my career, when I when I was focused on white collar work, it was more on financial institutions. But maybe that work's not always going to be there—at least not going to be there in the volume, right? That you want it to be. And uh, markets have you know ups and downs, and and if you don't have—at least my view is—you if you don't have uh, a, a broader net than that, you can get into trouble, particularly with financial institutions who are under. Extraordinary pressure in terms of cost. Um, and so it's been more, I've been focused on a diverse set of clients, but, but I would say, you know, 10 or less, um, because it it takes a lot to develop really deep relationships with a client. Um, and my goal is not to have them send me, you know, the one-off case here and there. My goal is to be their go-to person. And you can only really be the go-to person for a certain number of clients, or at least I feel like I could only be the go-to person for a certain number of clients. Um, It's hard, hard to manage more than that.
0: So a, a great lead into our next question. Do you have tactical best practices that you use both with current clients to ensure that you're maintaining those relationships, and then also with you know securing new business, things that you do daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly.
1: Uh, I definitely do. Um, so I try to do on a yearly basis uh, a yearly check-in, and and to have it be as substantive as possible. To tell the client, this is an opportunity for all of us to put our cards on the table about how we're feeling about this relationship. And I I love hearing the positive, but I want to hear the negative. I want to hear what it is that you think we can do better for you because we're committed to doing it better. I I think saying it that way to them, it gives them the space um, to offer criticisms that maybe they wouldn't normally uh, offer. Um, And that's important because you want to meet the challenges. I'd much rather it be a transparent conversation than it be hallway chatter or... Um, so certain things can tend to turn into legend or lore, and you, you don't want that to happen. So that's been important. And then on a more regular basis, um, you know, I have personal relationships. Obviously, like I was talking about, where I try um, at least once a month to make sure certain people I'm still on their radar, either by just sending them an email, picking up the phone for five minutes, some people, you know, having a drink, having dinner with them. And, and one of the other things been doing a lot of recently is thinking about how to offer value to my clients beyond the particular cases that I'm working on. So what are, what are things that I've seen in the way that they organize themselves or they manage litigation, um, that I've observed could be better. And I have ideas about how it could be better. And to have those kinds of conversations with them, I, I think clients. Value that tremendously. Um, a good example of that is, you know, I I have a client who I think I felt like uh, they're they're a very international client, and they've got their in-house lawyers are from all over the world. So they've got UK lawyers who don't have a US background, US lawyers without a Hong Kong background, um, you know, French lawyers who don't know German law, etc. And trying to have a legal enterprise with All of those different types of lawyers um, who may not understand the risks in different jurisdictions or under different legal regimes is a real challenge. And one of the things I said to them is, you know, if you if you had some knowledge management tools available for people, maybe you could improve in that front. So, for example, if you just had sort of some checklists or some basic documents that explained in chart form, even. What are data privacy laws like in these 20 jurisdictions in which you operate? Um, you know, not in depth, but enough to give people the ability to issue spot. How much easier would their lives be? And I can't tell you how happy that client was with that. It's something I can replicate for other clients, too. It's not, you know, unique to them. But when you I think by, by trying to spot places for them uh, where, where you can make them look better, uh, they really appreciate that.
0: I absolutely agree. Let's talk about acquiring new clients. You know, something you do on a regular basis to ensure you're growing that group of 10. Uh, I would imagine, Jen, that at a point there, you might hand off an account to someone else and, and take on a new account. You know, what does that look like? How do you get that new account? And, and if you'd prefer, you know, a a success story on, on an account that you've uh, acquired and brought into Cleary?
1: That I think is really interesting to think about how you, how you get new projects and how you get new clients. And some of it goes back to one of the points I made it, uh, at the beginning about what, are, what have been some of my strengths um, in business development. And it's no fear, I think is one of them. I've, I've never been afraid to put my name forth for something, um, even if it's not exactly the right fit for me um so even if i've i've never done exactly that kind of case even if i've never worked for that exact type of client even if that particular area of law is not my exact substantive specialty i've never been afraid to say i can stretch and that one of my strengths is my versatility and my ability to stretch so even if my resume it doesn't you know isn't quite as good as that person that you are looking at versus me what, what I bring to the table that I can tell you maybe they don't is that I, I can stretch and I can be versatile. So that no fear is, is a part of it. The other part of it is at least for me at the firm I'm at thinking about my corporate colleagues as clients. So, you know, I, uh, you know, at 50% of my firm, you know, is comprised of people who do corporate work, who do capital markets work, who do MA work. And, do it for clients that I've worked for before and do it for clients that I have no exposure to. And so getting to know people in those groups, letting them see um, the kind of lawyer I am, uh, makes it a lot easier for them to pick up the phone and recommend me to their clients or um, look for ways to bring me in. Uh, And one of the the ways I've done that very successfully was a client out in, um, in the West Coast. And I got to know uh, there was an M&A partner who I work with who worked for that client a lot. I really was interested in the client and I felt like I could bring something to the table. And I just told him, you know, if there's an opportunity for me to present a CLE to that client on one of these five topics, I would love to do that. And, and clients, I think, rarely are going to turn down you coming in and doing a CLE for them. They, you know, their in-house lawyers need the legal credit and it's um, free education value add for them. So I said, here are five that I do, you know, routinely that are in my wheelhouse. You think they'd be interested in any of these five? And he reached out to his contacts and they said, sure. And I went out and did the CLE and made sure I spent time after the CLE and before the CLE with certain people. And that over time, it didn't turn into business right away. Um, but over time, I made sure to keep in contact with those people that I'd done the CLE for by sending them pieces of information that related to the topic on which I'd given the CLE, and that eventually evolved into a case on that exact topic. So the next time they had you know that issue come in the door, I was in their mind, right, as somebody to go to. So it, it took it took patience, it took perseverance, um, but I but I think that's. Sort of my attitude about bringing in new clients is trying to um, find someone who can open the door for you a little bit, right? By going to somebody like one of my corporate partners, a lot easier than a cold call, and then showing them your your wheelhouse, right? Here's here's the thing I'm best at, um, in a way that. Um, it's value add for them.
0: What a great approach to go to offer to go out and teach a class, and and I can say that we had a, a representative from Lawline on Left Foot, and we talked about the ability to convey your strength through teaching a class, and that of course when they're you know they as educators you know formal educators they don't, you know, that's not the intention when they hire uh, or have a faculty member or a guest faculty member teach a class, but that's often the result, right? That, that, that faculty member, um, you know, guest person that's teaching ends up with business from it, right? Because people trust what they said and if they obviously are credible. Um, So what, what a great way to, to grow your business. And have you done that with other clients? Is that something you do regularly? Say I can, you know, help or assist on these topics
1: or teach? I I definitely do the CLEs regularly. And then with some clients, I've tried to take it to the next level, which is to make it more than just a two hour, you know, sort of prepackaged CLE and try to do in-depth offsites for particular clients. So, you know, taking the topics that I'm really good at and thinking through, how does this client deal with this topic? What are the things this client needs to hear about this topic? Um, So, for example, you know, clients who are dealing with the U.S. Department of Justice, and these clients are foreign, uh, thinking through the DOJ's recent pronouncements on data privacy and cooperation. So the DOJ has recently said that um, they... Will take into account negatively from a cooperation perspective of foreign companies who invoke foreign data privacy laws to prevent the DOJ from getting access to information. And now I could go out and do a CLE on that for a whole host of foreign companies, right? You could do sort of a two hour um, presentation on on that issue how the DOJ works, what does cooperation mean, what does it mean to have have them negatively think about you um, in a cooperation perspective, from a cooperation perspective. But what I did instead was think about this particular client. What are the current matters that they have going on? Uh, what are the the ways in which they operate and and attitudes? I know that they or positions they take about data privacy that really um, might come to heads with this with this pronouncement and and did uh, offsite not just on that topic but but on other topics coming from that perspective which is, this is, this is, I put this together just for you. This isn't something I do for every. I really thought about you. Um, and I think that's been, uh, that, that was successful. The, re- the reports from the sessions I've done, um, with my partners, uh, like that the clients have been incredibly, um, appreciative, uh, and you get calls immediately after that with people having questions and, um, and understanding, right. That you've thought the problem through from their perspective, right.
0: You, you went ahead and helped them solve a business problem, make a business improvement. It was one that they were specifically having or could have right. And needed to avoid you were adding value, you know, even prior to them having an engagement or a matter that would result in income.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's definitely the way I, I, I think clients, are going to be most attracted to me is if i try to put myself in their shoes and think about what is the thing that would add the most value for um for you and and most efficiently too right so it's it's a, you have to really think about using people's time efficiently we're all time crunched under a lot of time pressure and if someone's going to come listen to you for 2 hours 4 hours 6 hours You want to make sure that they're really getting something beneficial out of it. Never want them to feel like you wasted any moment of their time.
0: We talked about this next area. So the market changes, right? And we have to respond to changes in market conditions. And, you know, since you've been practicing and and been a partner, the, the markets changed. Obviously, a great reason not to be solely focused on the financial markets and today probably not wanting to be solely focused on energy or the oil industry but in your opinion when you're working with clients how often does you know your role change with them based on what's happening with the market at any particular time and if you've had an experience where one of your clients has had
1: a major uh, need to respond to the market it'd be great to hear about that changing market conditions and how my clients respond to that is, It's ever challenging Um, and it's real every day. And one of the ways you can think about it as a a litigator, one of the examples as a litigator has been, you know, the um, massive increase in e-discovery, right? In the last 10 or 15 years, you know, we're all writing emails, we're all texting, we're all chatting, WhatsApping, Snapchatting, and all that that, um, communication is evidence, right, <laughs> in litigations and is something that has to be looked through, trolled through by lawyers when there's a litigation or when there's an investigation. And given the kind of cost pressures most clients, but particularly financial institution clients, face, um, that that's a real challenge for them. Um, how do you deal with the massive increase um, in communication the costs associated with looking at it, but yet the need to do it to effectively defend oneself um, against a regulatory investigation or in a a litigation. And it takes creativity to think through that problem. And it's an ever-changing market environment for solving that problem, right? So, you know, 10 years ago, the answer was, well, every firm's gonna, gonna hire essentially contract lawyers, right? to, to do this kind of document work. And now a lot of companies are looking at outsourcing it, right. Looking at services both here in the United States and abroad that can do it m- much less expensively. And one of the things I've really done, um, with many of my clients is had frank and honest conversations about that challenge for them, right? Cause until you understand how the client is thinking about how that changing market condition is impacting them. So, you know, in this example, how the proliferation of electronic communication combined with cost pressure is, is impacting the way in which they defend themselves. You're not going to be able to come up with creative solutions that work for both them and, and work for you. Instead of guessing how the, the market
0: conditions are affecting their business, really understanding from their perspective, right? Because there might be some factor that you may not be aware of.
1: Absolutely. Um, and they, and it, it it turns out, you know, if you, if you have those kind of conversations, you, you find out one, you're, I think they appreciate the fact that you're asking because so many people, I think just throw out canned solutions. Um, and you know, that's, that's helpful, but it's not as helpful as it could be. So I think they like hearing that you want to know how they're thinking about the issue and then you have to be responsive to that. So they're, you know, there've definitely been investigations where it's not the most profitable thing for me to suggest that the client outsource certain parts of, of looking at um, electronic communications uh, abroad to a different, to a different company, but it's, it's the right thing for this client. Uh, And so you get a lot of um, loyalty by being someone who, makes those kinds of suggestions to them. So I guess the, the thing I try to keep in mind when I'm thinking about adjusting to changing market conditions is short-term versus long-term perspective, right? There, This might not feel great now um, from a profitability perspective in the short term, but if I'm on this client's side and I'm loyal to this client and I am telling this client and showing this client that I'm I'm hearing them and being responsive to them now, then in the long term, I think that creates value and and that will create, you know, hopefully greater volume of business, which makes up for the sort of short term um, hits you might be taking. Excellent. I think that's a great way to look at it too, because that
0: that short term, long-term thinking and and communicating that to the client as well, right?
1: I mean, I've even gone as far, and, and others at my firm I know have done this too. And this this will sound crazy to some people, it's gone as far to say to some clients, you actually shouldn't hire us for this you know, they've come to us with a matter and we've said, you just shouldn't, you know, um, for, for a whole variety of reasons, we just don't think this is the right choice for you to make. Uh, and I can tell you that's not an easy thing to say in most circumstances, but that generates a lot of long-term loyalty. Um, yeah, the next time that they really
0: have a matter that is best for Cleary, they'll they'll be right there, so, you know, respecting the fact that you you know suggested they go elsewhere. So Jen, you you obviously know the market, you know the space, you engage with clients, you engage with other lawyers, uh, you engage with the legal departments uh, within your clients. Have you seen? a business development approach that you've seen other lawyers or other professionals use that you thought was innovative, that, you know, maybe something you adopted after that, but has there been an approach of how people are either maintaining their clients and growing those clients and, or, you know, getting new clients that you've thought, Hmm, that was a great approach. Very either creative or innovative.
1: Yeah, I, I can think of one in the area that I work in particularly for financial institution clients, but for all sorts of clients, given the, the internal pressure they have on, on budgets for litigation, um, I saw someone who developed a really innovative alternative fee arrangement. It's the alternative fee arrangements, I'm sure, as you know, are all the rage in, in this space right now. Um, and they developed this sort of all-you-can-eat arrangement, um, and, and, you know, the details of it are, you know, in the, in the, um, are confidential and the like, but essentially what they said is, you know, for a certain amount of, of money a year, you can bring us everything, uh, and this is all you'll pay. And it's, it was genius because it really understood how most companies deal with litigation expense, which is they have budgets for it. Right. Um, and they, they try to project and forecast and, and a big part of how they get judged is whether they are under budget or over budget, et cetera. And once you come to understand that this alternative fee arrangement is brilliant because it gives the client this thing that's really, really important to them, which is certainty.
0: Right. So, so it's interesting and I've heard different approaches like this, right? So I actually had someone on the podcast talk about, these types of arrangements after you've had a client for a long period of time and you could actually categorize different, you know, put different litigation matters into categories and then figure out on average how many there were per year, figure out, you know, the time that they took and then assessing really what the cost is on average per year and then figuring out what a what a fee
1: is. Is that the kind of method they they use to get to that number? That is the that the method they use, there's there's risk in that though. A lot there's there's a lot of potential risk in it, right? It's particularly in the white collar space, right? Because you never know when the next investigation is going to turn out to be Enron or turn out to be LIBOR, um, and the cost associated that would balloon out of control. And so, I'm you know the arrangements obviously have um, room for m- really material issues, but. I think that, that under those sorts of arrangements, it goes back to the short-term, long-term perspective, which is um, maybe this year or this quarter, because this particular arrangement was done on a quarterly basis, which also I thought was a really good idea. Uh, maybe this quarter, it didn't exactly work out like we expected it would, um, and maybe we came out uh, on the shorter end of the stick than we would have liked, but it, it goes to, we have a commitment to you in the long term right? We have a, we have a partnership with you. We're committed to you. We know that in the next quarter, you know, it'll be, um, it'll be made right some way, or over the course of the long term of this relationship, it'll be made right some way. And that I think is one of the great things about that arrangement in particular that I, that I'm I'm talking about because it, um, it gave this client such an incentive to commit to a long-term relationship. Uh, which is exactly what, you know, is one of, the, one of the best things you can have with a client.
0: And so they were committed. They they knew what their costs were going to be. And And I agree with you. It's one of the most difficult things to manage. I'm sure as a professional, you want to do the best work for your client. And that best work, you know, may require a lot of your time. And of course, you want to be efficient and you want to represent your client well. That said, you know, you don't want to be making decisions on whether you'll dive deeper in a certain area or not based on a budget that was set. You know, on both sides of the arrangement, there has to be continuous conversation about decisions related to both what is happening with the matter and what is happening from a cost perspective. That's what I've concluded. Let me say that based on all the conversations I've heard I'm sensing that you absolutely agree with that and you can come up with arrangements that work from a financial perspective, but there needs to be that constant communication.
1: What a great thing that constant communication is. I completely agree with you. Those types of arrangements force you to have constant communication, but maybe you should have been having that communication anyway right? If you were, if you were very client focused and you were focused on value add, and you were focused on efficiency, maybe you should have been having those conversations anyway. So if it forces you to have those conversations, you're, you're only getting yourself deeper into that client, which I I think can only be a good thing, right? If you, again, are going back to, you're learning to think like they do, you're learning to step into their shoes. Uh, It's, it's an incredibly valuable thing to have.
0: So Jen, many of our listeners are associates that are aspire to be partners or they're new partners and they're just taking on their business development responsibilities or have never had a formal role in business development where they're now looking at you know how they can develop their skills in that area. You're you're a great communicator. It's obvious you've had uh, you're comfortable communicating with others and I think that is a huge, you know, factor in this. Many of our listeners not only are they just taking on their business development responsibilities, but they you know they may not be as outgoing as others, right? Any advice you would give to, you know, both of those groups of folks, you know, those that are strong communicators and just starting to do business development. And then of course, those that, you know, aren't quite as comfortable. Uh,
1: I haven't always been as comfortable <laughs> doing business development. I think everybody has those, or I'm not, I'm still not always comfortable. Everybody has those moments, um, where it's, where it's not easy, uh, and, and it can be challenging. I guess one thing to think about is it's never too early. So, you know, whomever is listening to this, whether you're a first year associate or you're in your first year partnership, it, it it's really never too early to start. And it's one of the things I, I tell associates who I work with, which is that when you come in the door and you're the first year associate and you're talking to the most junior person at the client, right? The person who, you know, came in probably the same day you did or around the same day you did, five to 10 years from now, that person is the next senior vice president or the next managing director potentially. So start early, right? Think about, um, think about developing relationships with people at your level and taking them through your career with you. So it's, it's never a good idea, I think, to cut off a relationship or end a relationship. So start early and, and keep it going. Um, even if it's only like every year or so that you, you see the person or you reach out to the person, you never know where somebody is going to end up. That could be a, a good business relationship for you. And then in, in terms of, um, in the moments where it's, it's not so easy or you're not so comfortable, you're not so confident. Um, it's always good to, to bring a friend. I know that's a strange thing to say, right? Um, but it's, it's good to have support. It's good to brainstorm with other people. Uh, it's good to, to figure out what it is that's making you uncomfortable, do a little self-therapy or self psycho, uh, psychoanalysis and confront whatever that issue is. Um, and I'll talk about this a little bit, being a woman, um, there have definitely been circumstances where I have been, I mean, this happens all the time to me where I am the only woman in the room. Uh, in a business development situation, and if I step back from that, you know I can there there is sort of an underlying unease, right? It's looking around the room thinking, wow, i'm I'm not like the others." Um, and how do you how do you deal with being uncomfortable in that situation? and And one of the things I've done is I express that to my colleagues who are with me. I'm not afraid to say, even if it's just in jest to one of my colleagues, God, like seriously, I'm the only woman in this room <laughs> and bringing it to their consciousness. Cause it, it does, it helps them see it from your perspective and maybe try to make the situ- situation a little bit easier for you. So I think bringing a friend, being vocal about the things that make you uneasy, people can help you overcome, um, those challenges. That's what, that's, It's great advice. I have to say, it's interesting.
0: I've actually started to think of being the only woman in the room. I'm like, wow, I feel so powerful.
1: But you know, there, there can, I think you're right though. You know, sometimes being the only woman in the room has really great advantages. Um, And this is going to be totally, I'm going to say something very stereotypical that I'm sure I'll regret, but you know, sometimes it takes a woman's perspective to see the problem slightly differently or to see how to build a consensus, right? Um, to be to be potentially less ego driven about something and more consensus building about something which can be very valuable to clients. Um, and the other thing is and this is just my personal experience but I if if we're in a social situation and I'm the only woman um, and I talk go up, I, I'm most comfortable talking about my family and my kids I could talk you know endlessly about my children and I find that if I go talk to a man who has kids, they're really receptive to that. Because it doesn't happen as frequently to them as it happens to me, right? So it's it's pretty natural for people to ask me about if I have children and how old they are, et cetera, and, wh- and ask me questions about my kids as a mother, just socially. It's kind of a, a normative thing that, that people do. Um, but it doesn't happen as often to you know the, the men who are at my level in the profession or more senior to me. And it opens up a lot of doors. What do you enjoy most about the work you do? It's a really good question Uh, and I'll tell you a a, a story and maybe that'll just give people insight into it. So uh, a couple months ago, I and some of my my colleagues got hired to um, do an investigation related to a a collapse of a dam in Brazil. Uh, If you'd asked me, you know, 10, 15 years ago, if I would ever be going to a remote part of Brazil to hike around a collapsed dam uh, I would have said absolutely not <laughs> like that will actually never been in my life. <laughs> um, uh, and so that experience all, with all of its many facets, you know, the tragedy of it, the intrigue of it, the, the, the people aspect of it. I, um, I really enjoy that, right. Really tough, hard, complicated problems and I get to be part of making it better. Uh, I don't know. As, as a lawyer, that's that's a really valuable a valuable thing, and I get to do it with people universally. You know, at my clients and and the people I work with at Cleary Gottlieb, who I respect tremendously and enjoy their company. Right, um, they're creative, insightful, are passionate, and want to do the right thing. And are all committed to moving in that direction. It's really, it's been an incredible ride so far. I can't wait to see what the next thing is. You know, if I'm standing at the edge of a dam this month, I don't know what's on the horizon next year, but it's got to be exciting.
0: It sounds exciting. And I'm sure there's that aha moment where you really come to a conclusion of how, not resolved in that particular case, but what the outcome is. I'm sure that's exciting as well. So, Jen, great thoughts, and and I I so appreciate you sharing your thoughts on business development and and your career and and the experiences you've had with our listeners. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye?
1: You know, I I guess the only thing I I haven't said in this conversation is about finding mentors, sponsors, whatever the, the word of the day is to describe those people in your life who can can support you, who can offer you guidance. And there's there's always got to be more than one, right? I, I love having handfuls of them, of people I can turn to for for different kinds of questions I have and to be sounding boards on different types of issues. I think it's so important to to seek those people out. And I know that that some people will, will tell you that you should let that develop organically and naturally and it just comes and, and that's true. But I see no downside to to being proactive about it. You know, in, in my professional career, I have you know gone to people and said, "I really think you are very talented at, at this particular thing, and I admire it tremendously. And I would I would love to hear more about how you did that or how you got that." And you know, very rarely is somebody going to say no to that. It's flattering. Um, I think. Now that I'm in a position to mentor people, it's one of the most enjoyable things I get to do. So asking somebody to do that for you, uh, I think there's little risk in it and and lots of reward.
0: Fantastic. Great, great point and and great advice to, to our listeners. Jen, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot.